Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be talking about green-white in Brothers War. So full disclosure here, I was playing in the MTG Summit pre-release event this weekend, so that was a lot of of rounds, a lot of matches, so I have not had time to draft a ton, but I did have a lot of experience playing a particular green-white deck in Sealed, and I played against a lot of other green-white decks there, and I feel like I got a pretty good sense of what's going on in green-white, but just as some background, a lot of my actual experience here is from the uh, perspective of a sealed deck. That out of the way, uh, of course, as always, the notes are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for patrons to follow along. So, uh, Green White's stated theme for this set is Artifact Fall, so stuff that uh, cares about artif- artifacts entering the battlefield. This mechanic uh, doesn't really exist at common, and like I think there are five cards that care about this thing. Uh, there's a, a white common and a green common, Perimeter Patrol and Phalanx Vanguard, that each get an extra power until end of turn when an artifact enters the battlefield. They're kind of like fine rate creatures by themselves that gets a little bit better if you have an artifact enter not really enough for what i would consider like a meaningful or cohesive theme but there you go and then at uncommon there is yoshian dissident which is green white for a one one that puts a plus one plus one counter on something when an artifact enters the battlefield this card is really doing the heavy lifting to make this archetype a thing like all by itself it's an incredible card really really strong and if you have it especially if you have multiple of them then you really do care about having artifacts enter the battlefield, especially if you can play cards that make multiple artifacts enter the battlefield. This can give you a really large board really easily. And then, so that's the gold uncommon, and there's also one green uncommon and one white uncommon, and Sirenth Steelseeker and Thopter Architect that care about artifacts entering. Uh, Steel Steelseeker is one and a green for a one-two. When an artifact enters the battlefield, you can look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you can reveal it and put it into play. Otherwise, you can put it in your graveyard. Really nice little value engine if you play it early. Uh, definitely pretty strong. High pick. Another thing that makes you actually care about uh, having artifacts enter, but I think a little bit less powerful than the Dissident. And then Thopter Architect is a four mana two three that gives something flying until end of turn when an artifact enters. Nice finisher, but I think it's ultimately not that strong of a card. Uh, two three for four is pretty small and really only does anything offensively. I wouldn't be unhappy to have some in a deck that's kind of like doing this anyway. It plays reasonably well with the commons that uh, get extra power when an artifact enters. So you can potentially like have multiple guys get bigger, multiple guys take to the skies, get a big hit on your opponent if you have multiple artifacts coming into play. But again, not really doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of giving this archetype some definition. So really everything in terms of like this archetype actually caring about artifact fall, in my opinion, comes down to Yoshi and Dissident 
and Sauron's Steelseeker. Like those two are like 90% of artifact fall even being a thing. So in practice, this color combination is more about the fact that it is relatively good at making and using power stones. Uh, cards that make power stones, of course, trigger artifact fall. And then you have like, you know, a lot of ways to have a way to spend the power stone mana. So there are a variety of good mana sinks at common and uncommon. For example, Aloe Animist is the green 1-1. One, one. You can spend two and a green to turn a non-creature artifact into a 4-4 four, four until end of turn. In I had that card in sealed. It ended up being one of the weaker cards in my deck, even though I was very good at making power stones and often had five or more power stones in play. Uh, my deck was really, really good at having stuff to spend its mana on. As I get to some of the other mana sinks, I had those also. And Ally Animist ended up being a lower priority than the others because my deck had a really strong late game and Ally Animist is mostly uh, a threat. And I was looking more to like generate value over time rather than just like have some attackers. I think that if your deck is a little bit more aggressive, if uh, you have less inevitability, I think it can be pretty strong. It's not hard to have uh, some power stones to animate and everything. I've, But that said, I've taken it early in drafts and been a little dis disappointed had it not come together. I don't think it's a card that you want to like first pick or anything. I think you want to wait until you know that you're pretty good at making power stones. But then uh, once you, you know, if you're in the right place, I think it's a good, you know, aggressive card for a power stone heavy deck. Meticulous Excavation. This is the white enchantment, single white to play, two and a white to return a permanent uh, from the battlefield to your hand. Activate only during your turn. This is very expensive to use. I don't think it's very good if you're just like picking up and recasting something like Elsewhere Flask or Energy Refractor, where you're basically saying on my turn, I can spend five mana to draw a card. But there are a lot of cards that are quite a bit better to reuse than that. So if you have something like Great Desert Prospector, Mightstone and Weakstone, Lauren, either the uncommon or the rare. So it's either the 3-3 three, three that picks up an artifact from your graveyard and puts it in your hand, or the like white reclamation stage. Those are all like really, really strong to reuse. If you're specifically getting your good artifacts back, if you have some kind of enter the battlefield removal, you can make a bunch of power stones, um, like a bunch of power stones in a single recasting, then you can start to get some real value out of Meticulous Excavation. It's also very nice with Unearth. It's worded specifically so that you can pick up Unearth creatures. In particular, that's good specifically with Scrapwork Cohort, the four mana three one that makes a one one and then has Unearth for three mana. That card's very good in green-white anyway if you care about Artifact Fall, because when you play it, it's two artifacts entering, and then if like you manage to trade with the 3-1 and then unearth it, you get two more artifacts entering. So for one card, you get four artifact entering triggers. And then if you combine that with meticulous excavation, you end up just getting a lot of artifact enter the battlefield triggers and in addition to just like building up one ones that you can you know attack or block or whatever with. Recruitment officer, that's uh, white for a 2-1. You can spend three and a white to look at four cards and put a creature that costs three or less from among them into your hand. Kind of a Duskwatch Recruiter effect, obviously a great mana sink. Ambush Paratrooper is the one and a white for a one-two flash flyer. You can spend five mana to give all your creatures plus one, plus one until end of turn. Very strong effect. As we saw in if you played the Alchemy Baldur's Gate set, 
There is the uh, unicorn that gave all your creatures plus one, plus one in vigilance for four mana. That was extremely strong. This doesn't give vigilance and it costs more mana to use, but in exchange, you can use power stones to do it. So it's much easier to get to 10 mana than uh, it usually would be. Also, flash on this creature is a really big deal. I've had a lot of games where, uh, you know, the first time that I'm doing it, I'm both playing and activating it. So I have this very unexpected kind of combat trick, in addition to just having a 2-1 flash flyer that can, you know, ambush a 1-1 or whatever. Argothian Sprite is the 2-mana 2-2 that can't be blocked by artifact creatures, and you can spend 7-mana to put two counters on it. And Mask of the Jade Crafter is the 2-mana artifact. You can uh, spend X and sacrifice it at sorcery speed to make an XX creature, and then you can unearth it for 2 and a green. So that's another that gives you four artifact fall triggers by itself. One when you play the statue, one when you make the first construct or golem or whatever it is. Another when you unearth it, another when you sack it to make a thing. And that's another card that you can just put any amount of mana into, you know, only over like two different turns or whatever, but three different turns, I guess. The turn you play it, the turn you sack it the first time, and then the turn you both unearth it and sack it. But a uh, reasonable outlet for some power stones there. So... Those are some examples of some things you can do with Power Stones. And that's just a common and uncommon, just speaking to the deck being pretty good at using the Power Stones they can make. So given that this deck is really good at making like these extra mana sources and really good at spending mana, it's much grindier than green white would be in a lot of formats. This is very much not a... like generic green-white aggressive deck. The commons like Perimeter Patrol and Phalanx Vanguard, those guys with the artifact ball that get extra power, might trick you into thinking that green-white is, oh, okay, this is like an artifact ball beatdown deck. But I think that the way this deck plays out is much more about kind of like generating value over time. You have a good curve to uh, get some early blockers down, maybe get your opponent on the back foot, and then you're kind of hoping to like get into a board stall where you can just kind of outspend your opponent uh, using these like power stones to just like use abilities that give you value over time and then winning with that. So given that you're trying to play a bit of a longer game, removal interaction uh, is pretty important. Fortunately, again, this being an artifact set makes it easier for green and white to have a lot of good removal since like disenchant type effects are pretty strong removal. So at common, you have like Disenchant and Epic Confrontation are both premium removal spells. And then in addition to that, you have Prison Sentence, which is the arrest that scries to, which, you know, I'm usually pretty low on arrest uh, type cards, but arrest for people who haven't been playing a million years ago is uh, two and a white um, enchant creature, enchanted creature, can't attack, block, or use activated abilities. Uh, prison Sentence is that, but also scries to. Scry 2 goes a really long way to uh, mitigate the downside of your opponent having some kind of uh, efficient way to use the creature that you've put it on. I, I've been pretty happy with Prison Sentence. Deadlier Post is okay. Uh, three to a tap creature, gain two life. Very good if your opponent's like trying to attack you with small creatures. So I found it to be in sealed a good sideboard card against people who are trying to go under me. But uh, ultimately, like so many decks in this format are more about like having huge prototypes or whatever that I think it has a lot of bad matchups so I don't really consider it like a premium removal spell but it's okay to you know play a copy or two if you're worried about people going under you 
and then shoot down four mana, exile an artifact, um, enchantment or creature with flying. Four mana sorcery speed removal is a tough pill for me to swallow. It's hard to get a lot of value out of it. You're not usually trading up on mana a lot. That said, in this set, pretty versatile in terms of like total number of things it hits being pretty high, and it hits a lot of things that are very high impact. So I think if you're looking for some hard removal, if you're like short for whatever reason, it's playable, but not something that I'm looking to highly prioritize. In Sealed, overall, this archetype felt very strong. My deck in particular was great, but I also felt like in general, as I got further along in the tournament playing at the top tables, um, I felt like I was seeing more of it. I think that, uh, you know, how good it is in Sealed isn't super important for how good it is in Draft, but I think that that's to say that it's at least relatively densely supported in terms of just like the number of good commons in these colors and the extent to which they play well together. The other thing that's going on in this deck, of course, if you're making a bunch of power stones, in addition to getting value over time, spending them on activated abilities, of course, this lets you also cast big prototype creatures, either, you know, ahead of time or just at all. Um, you know, you don't need to draw a lot of lands to be able to cast your seven mana creatures or whatever. And then of course there are a lot of good prototype creatures that cost green or white to cast for the prototype versions. So you can both play them early and play them late. And then uh, some of the ones that scale particularly well as they get bigger, um, for example, in my experience most directly, the clear cutter, the creature that taps for mana equal to its power and the combat thresher, the double strike creature, those you get a lot of extra value when you hard cast them because they um, have three power instead of one, and they kind of multiply the significance of that power by having you know either double strike or the mana ability. But with Yoshin Dissident, that can put plus one plus one counters on your things, specifically on those things, you can kind of uh, make up for the difference between the prototype and the hard uh, cast version very quickly by just having other artifacts enter and then putting counters on that thing. So. Uh, dissident plays really well with like those prototypes that scale particularly well. A lot of synergies, decent, you know, cheap aggressive stuff with a lot of value over time, scales into the big game, into the late game pretty well. So I really like what's going on here. While there are kind of like preliminary 17 land stats available right now, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in what I've seen yet. You know, you can't, like, if you look for stats for um, like the best commons in a single archetype right now at the time of recording. It only really has enough data for like the two most played cards or whatever. So I took down kind of my thoughts on the best commons for this archetype, not like closely ranked or anything and not based on any data, just my opinion, but I figured I might as well share that. So my favorite white uncommons disenchant airlift chaplain, that's the three mana one one. When it enters the battlefield, you look at the top three cards, put a planes or a creature that costs three or less from among them into your hand. If you don't, you get a plus one, plus one counter on this thing. I hate Wind Drake, of course, but since this finds planes or creatures, it can help if you either need mana or you're looking for a spell. So that flexibility is really nice. Also means that it finds a card more often. And then having a flying body that you can... Uh, put like counters or enchantments or equipment on is pretty good. So the like downside of having only a 1-1 instead of a 2-2 flyer isn't that big uh, in the context of imagining that you're going to be able to power it up. 
also relevantly Yoshin Dissident and Sarenth Steelseeker, uh, two of the kind of like really important cards for this archetype can be found by the airlift chaplain, um, which gives a lot of extra value. You know, like digging for your best cards is a good thing to be doing. Ambush Paratrooper, um, just talked about how I've had really very good experiences with that thing's activated ability in conjunction with Power Stones. And then Lauren's Escape, that's the um, white instant that gives a creature hexproof indestructible and you scry one. Just a really good rate to protect something, especially when you're playing a lot of really kind of key creatures and expensive creatures. Um, this format also does have a lot of good removal, so trading profitably with that's pretty nice. Green, Argothian Opportunist. So Argothian Opp Opportunist and Epic Confrontation are the two best green commons. Uh, Opportunist being the two and a green, three, two, enter the battlefield, make a power stone, and up a confrontation, one and a green sorcery that gives a creature plus one, plus two, and then it fights an opposing creature. Those are both just really good. And then Gaia's Gift is the other notable green common. That's the plus one, plus one, counter, reach, trample, hexproof, indestructible. Um, you know, good for the same reasons Lauren's Escape is good. Costs a little bit more mana, but the counter and trample are both pretty significant. Reaches. Kind of nice, I guess. And then uh, artifacts that I'm looking for here. Scrapwork Cohort, I already talked about being very good at generating artifact fall. Scrapwork Rager, that's the um, four mana 2-2 two -two that draws a card and then unearths for two and a black. I'm not excited about this if you don't have black mana, but uh, if you have even just like two energy refactors and no swamps in your deck or one swamp in your deck or whatever, it's also pretty easy to have like one swamp and two evolving wilds or something. Um, then I think this card gets pretty good. Um, sorry, unearthed for three and a black, not two and a black. Uh, but, you know, it's a nice, you know, replaces itself artifact fall trigger, and it's not hard to find a way to unearth it. Boulder Branch Golem is the three and a green prototype for three, three gain life equal to its power, or seven mana for a six, five gain life equal to its power. Very uh, realistic on either side, a good way to catch up. I mentioned that, you know, this deck isn't necessarily uh, the fastest. You're playing more of a grindy game, which means that some portion of the time your opponent is going to be trying to get under you. So the life gain can be pretty significant. Rust Goliath is the 10 mana, 10, 10 reach trample, or for half the mana, you can have a two, five reach trample, three, five reach trample, something like that. Energy Refractor, two mana artifact, ETB cantrip, and then you can filter mana with it. it lets you turn your power stone mana into regular mana. It's a very nice upside in this deck, plus it's just a nice, easy artifact fall trigger. Stone Retrieval Unit, four mana for a 2-3 that makes a Power Stone. Obviously a worse rate than Argothian Opportunist in terms of like mana for stats, but the fact that it's another artifact entering, so you're getting two artifacts entering at once, is an appreciable advantage. Definitely weaker than the Opportunist overall, but solid playable. And then I, I noted maybe Aeronaut's Wings. That's the equipment that gives plus one power and flying. I have not played with it yet, but I've certainly felt like this format has a lot of board stalls. Being able to move your equipment around with power stones helps. I think there's a real chance that uh, Aeronaut's Wings is very good, especially in some versions of this deck. So definitely something to look for and try out. So that's what I got. I think that, you know, the, the archetype is, I don't want to say straightforward. Uh, it's really more versatile. Like there are a lot of different things you can do with it, but it's all kind of, you know, you're very much playing on the battlefield. You have, you know, 
access to removal and tricks, but you're very like mid-range. And like I mentioned, I think you're generally, if you want to play to be ahead on the board rather than like ahead on life, like you're not trying to go under people. You're not trying to like get them into the range where you're like racing them or that's, that's really, that's what I'm really getting at is you're not racing people. You're not a tempo deck. You care about tempo in as far as you care about not being behind so that you can be stable, so you can be spending your mana getting value. But you want your mindset to be, you know, less how soon can I kill my opponent and more how inevitable can I make this? You know, you're very much trying to go over the top of most people. Uh, if your opponent gives you a window to attack with your creatures that you're playing that are mostly, you know, incidental value sources, then you're happy to take it. But I think for the most part, you're looking to go bigger. That's, I think, just the most important point with this kind of thing is like understanding what your like mindset should be in the draft. And I think your mindset should be, you know, get on board, stay stay stable, don't fall behind so that you can afford to just kind of spend your mana churning out value and uh, then win eventually. Obviously, that puts this in kind of more of the controlling space, particularly with regard to how it thinks about values and uses like rares. That is to say that you should expect to see a lot of cards in your deck. And that means that you'll use rares relatively well. You don't need uh, like bomb rares for this deck to be good because I think that like Yoshian Dissident with the right synergies can be like comparably inevitable. But, you know, you, I think that you're thinking of yourself more as a control deck. So you use rares well, you use removal well, you want to make sure that you have answers to various things and you want to not worry too much about like, you know, your ability to like push damage specifically. Yeah, those are my notes. I'm going to turn this over to Twitch chat for questions. So if you have any questions about the archetype, regardless of whether you've said anything already, uh, enter those again now. And while I'm letting people think about that and get that entered, of course, uh, I want to thank my newest patron, Doug, and anyone else who's interested in supporting the podcast, um, getting some perks, access to notes, discounts on coaching. Uh, I, I do offer discounted coaching through the Patreon etc. Uh, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. <laughs> Don't focus on killing your opponent and get value to win eventually. Just sounds like Sam's general advice on playing magic. Fair call out. Uh, it's possible that this is more speaking to my experience and my approach to green-white than necessarily the only way to green-white, but what can I tell you? You're listening to my podcast. What are the best things or colors to consider splashing for? Well, I touched already on the vaccine rager guy. I think kind of any uh, like prototype that you might be able to sometimes cast off color, but you're like more planning to just like cast it for full price with the power stones is totally reasonable to play, kind of regardless of whether you can cast it 
for its discount as long as like the expensive version is fine. Removal, like if you're struggling to find removal in your colors, but you find, you know, a reasonable way to splash for removal somewhere else. Uh, most notably, I guess, the red, uh, two and a red do three damage, something like a power stone, of course, is totally on theme with what you're trying to do. So if you have like some evolving wilds, you can play a mountain, maybe an energy or factor, get enough sources that you can cast that at a reasonable time. Uh, of course, you know, anything like making the power stone while having an answer is perfect for this deck. And then there's some other good splash removal, like the, uh, four and a black, remorse whatever it's called the four and a black cost one less for each creature in your graveyard exile target creature or planeswalker is just kind of the best removal uh at common in the format if not the best removal in the format overall so i would be certainly happy to splash for that if it weren't very difficult and i mean honestly even splashing for the blue uh, draw two, discard one, make a power stone uh, would be very much like in line with what I'm trying to do with this deck. You know, just in general, cards that help with making power stones and having answers and kind of this like general like inevitability, don't fall behind kind of mindset, I think are all reasonable cards to consider splashing if your mana allows it easily. Uh, with Steel Seeker, how aggressively do you mill non-lands if you're going to have multiple artifact fall triggers in that turn? really depends on you know what you're looking for like if you need to find a land then you kind of need to throw away anything that's not a land to get to the land if it's late game and you're drawing lands primarily so that you can like draw spells and you find a reasonable spell then you should probably just leave it on top because you know you don't really care about the extra lands you might put in your hand so highly contextual there how does this deck use the two uncommons that care about forests and plains they're both fine. Like the Blanchwood armor is really good if you're heavy green and have ways to protect it. I had Blanchwood armor in my sealed deck. I played it with 10 forests. Um, I had one uh, Gaia's gift to protect it. No Lauren's escape. And it was a potential combo piece to put on the clear cutter to um, get it to five or more power to make infinite mana with my Staff of Domination. I ended up like never really casting it for any purpose other than that, and it felt like one of the weaker cards in my deck. I think if you have some more ways to protect it, the creature that you put it on, and you're less inevitable, and um, sometimes need to just try to put it on a creature and steal a game, then uh, it's better. You can also, you know, if you can get away with like 10, 6, 10, 7 kind of mana base and then put it on like a Yoshian, uh, the 1 4 Vigilant Lifelink, and also have Lauren's Escape and Gaia's Gifts to protect it, that can be kind of a different theme for a deck that uh, this archetype can very much get into, but that I have less experience with. And then the white one, if you're heavy white, it's a good removal spell. Um, not too complicated there. Pretty bad at killing giant prototypes. Pretty good at killing most, like, you know, normal creatures. Where does archetype fall for you on the ladder of archetypes in regard to overall strength, higher or lower end? Uh, my perception is that it's relatively strong. I think the synergies are good. I think the game plan's good. Uh, like I said, I saw it pretty often at the top tables in Sealed. That said, I'm a 
you know, a few drafts into the set, I have no idea. Mentioned the Boggle slash Protect the Queen variant of Green White in the overview with green and white protection tricks. Uh, is there a card or cards that make you lean in that direction, or do you think it's best to avoid it and lean in the Power Stone Value Engine and the color pair? I mean, I think Blanchwood Armor is the best reason to go that way. You know, Yoshin Dissident is kind of another way to do it. And then if you're going that way, you're looking for Lauren's Escapes and uh, Gaia's Gifts. I do think having played with the cards more, I, th I think the Power Stone variant is the more natural place to end up and what you're going to be doing more often. I think I yeah slightly overestimated that in my set overview. I do think that both are viable, but I think most of the time you're going to be more of the Power Stone deck. Another question about splashing here. So I will take that just as an opportunity to say, you know, like... I think, you know, a lot of what you're looking to splash is potentially uh, just like good gold uncommons. And I think whether you're looking to splash is a little bit less about which cards you see to splash and a little bit more about which enablers you see to let you splash. It's not hard, that hard to find something that would be kind of nice to have in the deck. And it's more about like how many Evolving Wilds, how many Energy Refractors, and then as a fallback, how many uh, prowlers or whatever, the the uh, green 1-1 one, one for 2 uh, that functions kind of like a Seder Wayfinder from the mill 3 cycle. That, especially in conjunction with Evolving Wilds, is a nice way to uh, splash. So to me, like, it's not that hard to figure out, like, okay, this card would help or is doing uh, what I'm looking to do, and more just like, how far out of my way am I going to enable this splash? Also, Worth noting, since you know this is a limited format, people are generally expecting to play 17 lands. I have almost always in this format played 15 or 16 lands. The Power Stones cover casting most of your expensive spells. There are a lot of like cheap artifacts uh, in this color combination. There are two different uh, mill three creatures that can give you more lands. Um, Siren Steelseeker helps you uh, with making your land drops. So I've been uh pretty happy playing 16 even in my decks that are spending a lot of mana i haven't found that it's like that hard to make your land drops or just like catch your spells with power stones i'm not sure if it was mentioned but would you run signal stalwart the mana elf in uh, this deck if yes only when you're splashing or just in general I think it's just a function of how many um two drops you have that uh like you're not trying to get in combat with very, very reasonable to play it. Play as well with Yoshin Dissident and Siren Steelseeker, since neither of them are really trying to attack and uh, helps you with splashing, as you said. But I, I think, you know, depending on your curve, it's fine to just play it, especially if you have like a lot of twos and fours and you're a little short on threes, which of course is a little bit less likely with Argothian Opportunist, but it could still happen. I would say the best versions of this deck lightly don't involve Sitna Stalwart because I think the best versions of this deck are really just like Yoshin Dissident and Steel Seeker and then cards removal and cards that put artifacts into play either because they're uh, like opportunist where it's not an artifact but it does give you one or just you know assorted artifact creatures you know I think I think the best versions of this deck are where you get multiple dissidents and then just everything you do triggers them a lot. Also, I wanted to mention in particular the white 2-1 for 2 that makes a power stone when it dies. Looks like a card for this archetype because it's like a way to make a power stone. In practice, I think it's pretty weak. I think it's hard to reliably 
trade this 2-1 in a way that's profitable to get the Power Stone into play in a timely fashion. Um, I don't think it's a horrible card, but I think it's a card that like the better versions of this deck will not have to play. I also incidentally think the better versions of this deck play neither Perimeter Patrol nor Phalanx Vanguard. Those are the uh, creatures that get extra power when an effect enters. I think they're just, uh, you know, they're fine rate creatures, but the they're very low synergy. Like the payoff that you get for having an artifact enter while you have those is very small. And then the cost of them not being an artifact to trigger your stuff that actually matters doesn't really offset that. So it's it's weird having like this uh, archetype that largely doesn't exist at common, except with some like things that kind of trick you into thinking they're part of it to like tell you that it's there, but you shouldn't really play them. Just part of where I think that like the explicit theme is less <laughs> emphatic, I guess, than one might think. But again, I do think that like the two very strong uncommons weigh very heavily. Um, they, they matter a ton. All right, so I think that's going to wrap us up. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, I'm not sure what I'm going to cover. I think that because I will be playing in the regional championships uh, DreamHack in Atlanta this week, I will not have had enough opportunity to draft enough to feel comfortable with anything. So I think that I will not be using a poll for the next topic, and it'll be a function of just what I feel like I've had enough experience with to talk about next week. And then the following week, we should be able to focus more on uh, getting a bunch of drafts in and open up the topics moving forward to the regular Patreon poll. So thanks for bearing with me while I'm a little slow uh, out of the gates here at getting drafts in. Just happened to uh, line up poorly with return to live events that said i've been i was at the uh the magic summit last weekend and had a really great time really excited about the return to live events um if you'll be at uh dreamhack atlanta say hi and i'll be back next week for whatever i feel comfortable talking about thanks and have a good week (laughs) 